We'll turn back again to that chapter of 2 Samuel, chapter 3. 2 Samuel, chapter 3, began this uh, message this morning, so if you weren't here this morning, apologize. Um, but there's too much to say, really, in one go, and so we split it over the day. Uh, 2 Samuel, chapter 3. We were considering this morning the uh, approach of Abner. And how that Abner, after being the enemy of David, and again, indeed, the enemy of God, because he knew what the Lord had said concerning David in verse, seven, uh, verse 17 and 18, uh, he says, or verse 18 in particular, he says to the people, By the hand the Lord has spoken unto David, saying, By the hand of my servant David, I will save my people Israel out of the hand of the Philistines and out of the hand of all their enemies. But Abner knew what God had said, he knew what the prophecy was, and yet he had set up Ishbosheth uh, as king, as the enemy of David. He had stood with him, and there had been a long war. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now there was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. So Abner knew what the Lord had said, and yet he fought against him. But now he approaches. And he comes to see David and uh, certain things have annoyed him, which we have looked at before. And he comes that he might be able to bring all Israel to David away from Ishbosheth. And he comes and he does so. And we have considered the life of Abner in some detail. And we uh, reckon, or at least I reckon, and have put it to, to you that Abner was a man who was... Um, a grey eminence, someone who was behind the scenes, who ran the country but wasn't the figurehead. So Saul, of course, was the king, but Abner was there, always to be found at his right hand. And now Ishbosheth is the king, but Abner is there, and he is the one who has set him up, and he is the one who has the power. So he comes now, and he is going to bring all Israel and his own tribe of Benjamin to the side of David. And as he has been that grey eminence behind the scenes, so he desires, I suggest, still to be. If he can bring Israel to David, then he will have a high position with David. And David is willing to uh, hear him. But first of all, as we saw this morning, there is a requirement, and that is that he bring Michal, Saul's daughter, when he comes. And he wouldn't see him unless Michal was restored to him. We considered this morning how the, the Michal, how did she ever become the wife of Faltiel when she was already the wife of David? And we considered the fact that perhaps because she had helped David escape some time before that Saul, in his anger and wrath, had kind of sold her into her slavery. He had given her to someone else. Uh, she was the king's daughter. And of course, she was also David's wife, who was now the king. She was a princess. And yet she had been given to this man uh, who lived in the country, uh, who no doubt was very pleased to have her because that gave him a certain status within the kingdom as well. But David does not forget. And David perhaps is repaying the debt which he owed to Michal. She had saved his life when Saul sought to slay him. And she had said, if you stay here, you will be killed in the morning. And she led him down by a rope by the window she took one of the statues of the house and put it in his bed. She covered him up and she told the guards that he was unwell. And it was some time before they came and discovered that he had escaped. But now we find that Michal has been given to someone else. Well, David doesn't forget her. 
He restores her to that position. She becomes, once again, uh, the princess, indeed the queen, uh, as she was his first wife, uh, the first one that she ma- he married. And we know that he has other wives, and uh, uh, those are mentioned there in the second verse of this third chapter. Uh, sons born in Hebron of these various wives, Ahinoam and, uh, uh, and Abigail and so on. So David makes this a stipulation so that if Abner is to see his face, he must bring his wife Michal and she is restored. We don't really read much more of Michal until one day we find that David dances before the Lord and Michal uh, says you are like one of the common people dancing like that and exposing your legs uh, to the people uh, in such a way. And David was angry with her because she didn't recognize the joy that was in his heart in bringing up the ark of the Lord into Jerusalem. Nevertheless, she, it seems, did still love David. One of the first things we read concerning her was that she loved David. First uh, Samuel eighteen twenty, and Michal, Saul's daughter, loved David, and they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. And she seems still to do so. Uh, she doesn't really comprehend everything that David comprehends. And, but isn't that a fact uh, of life? Indeed, if you are a Christian here to know, today and, uh, and you uh, interact with non-Christians, they don't really get it. They don't really understand why you want to be in the house of God, why you want to read the scriptures, why you want to pray, why you want to uh, believe these things. They don't really understand because they've never been touched in their own hearts. They're, they've never been moved upon to see the reality of salvation and there are some of course who are church goers and uh, and they go to church but still have never actually met with the lord never really known the power of god within their own hearts i was saying uh, i think yesterday uh, in the dedication service that uh, it has crossed my mind well what if there was a persecution and someone said to me uh, you better recant or we're going to kill you could i recant could i stop believing well, of course, the words could leave my lips, but the belief that I have and the faith and the trust in God would never leave my heart. One way or another, it can't be done because it is a part of who I am now. Jesus Christ is a part of who I am. The Spirit of God dwells within my heart, and so it cannot be done. And we know of those who have indeed um, recanted. One of the old uh, bishops during the uh, Reformation Uh, He recanted, and then afterwards he recanted of his recantation, and he said, no, I can't, I can't go through with this. And so they took him to burn him at the stake, and he took the hand that signed the recantation, and he put it first in the flames and and said, let that perish first, forever writing such a thing, forever signing such a recantation. Because you can't change a person's heart, and people don't comprehend this. And she didn't comprehend David in all that he did. No doubt we'll come to that point and speak more of that when we arrive there. So we saw the approach of Abner and then uh, Abner meets with David and then afterwards Joab comes. And that is where we are uh, for this evening. Uh, In verse 22 it says, And behold, the servants of David and Joab came from pursuing a troop and brought in a great spoil with them. Now Joab is very much like Abner. Except that Abner is an older man. Abner is, is Saul's uncle. And as Saul's uncle, he has a, a position of a patriarchy within the family. 
And so he is the advisor of Saul, it seems, as we have looked at in the past, and it seems always to be at at Saul's side. And uh, it is one, in fact, that David actually um, addresses on one occasion. Instead of speaking to Saul, who was also there, uh, if you can remember the time when David went through the camp and everybody was sleeping, he went right up to Saul's bed, right in the midst of Saul's camp, and Saul was in the middle. And he stood at his head and he could have slain him there. Uh, but he didn't do so because Saul was the Lord's anointed. And he comes out of the camp again. He has taken the water bottle and he has taken the spear of Saul from his head. And he has gone back out into the hills. And then he addresses the camp. And he doesn't say, Saul, I was right there. I could have killed you. But I was, I, I was kind and gracious towards you. And I spared your life. Please spare mine. He didn't do that. But he spoke to Abner and he said, where were you, Abner? Why were you not protecting the king? Because Abner was there, because Abner was the one who was behind the throne. And he was a mighty man in Israel. Joab is similar, but he is the nephew of David. So he is younger than David. Zeruiah, uh, we read of Joab as being one of the sons of Zeruiah. Zeruiah was David's sister. And so, therefore, we have uh, a younger man. In fact, I was quite amazed because I, I thought, well, I'll look up Joab and see what I can find out about Joab. What does the scripture say about Joab before this time? Uh, I've looked up Abner and seen where Abner is and what Abner does and how Abner has this real insight into people. What, what about Joab? And the thing which surprised me most of all was the fact that Joab only appears once in the first in first Samuel in first Samuel chapter 26 and verse 6 we read then answered David and said to Ahimelech the Hittite and Abishai the son of Zeruiah brother to Joab that's the first reference so we've not come across Joab before and we have we have studied the whole of the first Samuel we have not come across Joab before here is a young man a young man And yet he has the same aspirations, indeed, that Abner had. And he becomes the captain of David's host, as Abner was the captain of Saul's host. They are very, very similar characters. They are both men of violence. They are both men of of, um, a certain worldly wisdom and comprehension of, of what's going on. Uh, they are hard men. In fact, David describes them in such a way in verse uh, 39 here in this very chapter. He says, I am this day weak, though anointed king, and these men, the sons of Zeruiah, be too hard for me. Too hard for me. They were hard men. These are ones uh, who are mentioned amongst the, the mighty, the mighty of David's company. So we come across there's Joab's animosity, and it's all working up to the death of Abner. Joab here then, first of all, we we consider the animosity of Joab. We see his resentment. And the resentment is made manifest in the words that he utters to David. First of all, they come and they tell him, verse 23, that Joab and all the host that was with him were come. They told Joab, saying, Abner the son of Ner came to the king, and he hath sent him away, and he has gone in peace. Now, was this just news? Was he, they, were they just coming to Joab to say, Abner was here? Wasn't that wonderful? Abner came to see the king, and uh, the king has sent him away in peace. 
Or were they saying to him, Joab, Abner was here, you need to know. But certainly already, as a young man in the camp, he is someone who the people are looking to. We can see then that he has this uh, a presence about him, even as a young man, that they would come and they would, that they would let him know. And they told Joab, not just a general piece of news that was floating about at the time, but they told Joab, in verse 23, Abner the son of Ner came to the king and he has sent him away and he has gone in peace. And we see Joab's then resentment becoming, coming out straight away. He goes to the king. Uh, in verse 24, that Joab came to the king and said, What hast thou done? Behold, Abner came unto thee. Why is it that thou hast sent him away and he is quite gone? Thou knowest Abner, the son of Ner, that he came to deceive thee, and to know thy, thy going out and thy coming in, and to know all that thou doest. I find it interesting that there's no response here that David doesn't answer him back. Uh, at least it's not recorded for us. And of course, when we consider the inspired scriptures, there is a reason for everything. David doesn't have to explain himself, of course, to Joab. Perhaps he considers that Joab is just a hot-headed young man and that he'll get over it and he will see the wisdom of what David has allowed and what David is doing. Perhaps Joab doesn't realise quite what David had got up to already. And we know that David is a, a, a tremendous uh, um, tactician and has a strategic brain. Already he had been the captain of Saul's host. Already, as a young man, he had led forth the armies and he had defeated the enemies of the Lord. He had been chased by Saul. Here is Saul with all of his armies, 3,000 sometimes, following after David, trying to catch him. Never could catch him. In fact, David had two opportunities to kill Saul, but didn't take them. So David is a, a wise and a wily character, but Joab didn't really trust him, did he? He had his own purposes, he had his own ways, and he had this resentment of Abner's acceptance with David. Uh, he has his word to say, and then he goes about his own business behind David's back. There are many, if we consider uh, David to be a, a type of Christ, which he is in so many different ways, so many things where we can point to David's life and say, oh, there we can see some foreshadowing of the, of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here, Joab doesn't listen. He doesn't accept the wisdom of David. So often we don't accept the wisdom of Christ. We, we go about our own ways and, uh, and we fall foul of that which is right and that which is good. Remember what is recorded in the scripture Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. The Apostle Paul takes it up in, in uh, Romans chapter 12. And he says, don't, don't you seek after vengeance. Just bring that before the Lord. The Lord will deal with these situations. And indeed, we find that, they, that the Lord does deal with the situation in a strange way. But here is this resentment then. Joab had risked his life to protect David, to stand by him. And this man had been the adversary. How, why is he accepting him now? But David, with that cool head, had said, well, I will meet with you, but I want Michal first. So he doesn't just 
fall over and say, okay, this looks like a good idea. Uh, Perhaps I can get somewhere here. Uh, And he is quite aware of what Abner is capable of because he has dealt with Abner through all of these years. But Joab doesn't see it. And then he has a resentment also. Joab has a resentment also of Abner's authority. It's an amazing thing that Abner has this authority within the country. He seems to be known by everyone. We saw this morning how that he was able to gather together the elders of Israel and to speak to all of the elders of Israel and say to them, well, in time past, you wanted to be the servants of David and to make him king. Well, now's the time. And so he brings them on side and he is ready to bring them to David and let David be the king over the whole of Israel at this time. But he still would have a control, of course, because he is the go-between. Because he is the, the interface between the kingdom and the elders of Israel. And that's what he desires. And then, of course, of his own tribe. He speaks to the, to the, the people of the tribe of Benjamin. And he brings them on the side as well. Verse 19, and Abner also spake in the ears of Benjamin. And Abner went also to speak in the ears of David in Hebron. So here, here is a man with, with great power and he has authority. Something which I think that Joab desires. And because later on he, he is not, he is not uh, put to death for his murder of Abner, but uh, he continues on and becomes the captain of uh, David's host, we can see that that, that uh, aspiration, that desire which he had was something that he was really going to get. He was a man who was driven for power and he did seek it and he did attain it and he was a mighty man and he has termed such a mighty man in Israel. But he is of resentment here of Abner's authority. And then, of course, also in his resentment was the resentment of Abner's atrocity. There was an atrocity which we looked at a few weeks ago when the uh, when Abner had uh, met with the people or, or, or the men of, of David, uh, we read there in, in chapter 2 and verse 11, it says, And at the time that, was da- that David was king in Hebron over the house of Judah was seven years and six months. And Abner, the son of Ner, and the servants of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, went out from Mahanaim to Gibeon. And Joab said, Joab, the son of Zeruiah, and the servants of David went out and met together by the pool of Gibeon. And they sat down, the one on the one side of the pool, the other on the other side of the pool. And Abner said to Joab, let the young men now arise and play before us. And Joab said, let them arise. Then there arose and went over by number 12 of Benjamin, which pertained to Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and 12 of the servants of David, and they caught every one his fellow by the head and thrust his sword in his fellow's side. And they fell down called Helkath Hatserim, which is in Gibeon. Now that is the place of the sword. And perhaps because of the atrocity, because this was Abner's idea. And Joab was there and Joab couldn't really refuse because, well, he was a young man and he was being challenged by Abner. And Abner says, well, let the young men go and play. It says here in the scripture, but let them go and fight with each other. Uh, and let, let us see what, what happens there. And Joab, of course, in the hot-headedness of youth and not willing to back down, says to him, well, let them play. But they're all killed. And Joab loses his men. And Abner loses his men. And then there's a war. And they fight with each other and a battle. And more men are killed. 
more men of, of Abner's than there are of Joab's, but nevertheless, what an atrocity and what a sadness and what was the use of it? What was the point, really? And perhaps there is an anger there. But then something worse still, a greater atrocity in Joab's view, and that is the death of his brother Asahel. Uh, I have a funny feeling that this morning I kept saying Abishai instead of Asahel. I haven't listened to the recording to find out if I did that, but if I did, I'm, I apologise. But it was Asahel who followed after, uh, uh, followed after Abner. Asahel was fleet of foot, we read. Uh, he was a runner. And Abner, it seems, was still pretty fit, even though he was an older man. And they were, uh, and Asahel was, was following after him to slay him. And he kept on his tail. And Abner, this great seasoned warrior, said to Asahel, a young man, again, remember, uh, the, the nephew of David. Uh, and uh, we see that, obviously, Saul was fairly old, wasn't he, when David came out and fought against Goliath. And this is Saul's uncle, Abner. So there's quite a long time between them, an awful lot of experience, and many wars, and many battles. Uh, and uh, much which, which Abner had learned, and Abner said to Asahel, turn aside. I, I, I don't want to kill you. But Asahel, again, with this hot-headedness, how, how careful we need to be. If you're a young person here today, be, be very careful about being too hot-headed and, and just going into things without really thinking them through. And Asahel probably thought, oh, I can take Abner, he's an old man. And he followed after him and he told him, turn aside, I don't want to kill you. How can I look in Joab, your brother's face, if I kill you? So Abner had a thought concerning this. Maybe there was already going in his mind, well, I'm going to have to bring Israel, we're going to have to bring this country together under David. It's it's very clear and very obvious. Uh, In fact, at the beginning of of this third chapter, it says, but David waxed stronger and stronger and the house of Saul waxed weaker and weaker. And Abner would have noticed that. He doesn't want to cause more trouble, especially taking out this young man, but he refuses to turn aside. And as we were saying this morning, probably uh, what happens is because he smote him under the fifth rib uh, with the hinder end of the spear. And I can imagine that perhaps he, running with the spear, just turned it and dug it into the ground and Asahel ran onto it. And why it would be the hinder end of the spear and not the front or the, the point of the spear. But he slew him anyway. And this is Joab's brother, a young man, a man full of vigor and of strength, a man who had fought on David's side, a man who had given himself and, and put himself in danger to protect David, just as Joab had, and Abishai as well, these three brothers, one of them has gone, and now David has accepted this man who had killed his brother. He had come into the camp, he had spoken with David, and David had sent him away in peace. And how could he possibly do such a thing? There can often be a hardness about us, can't there? An unforgiving attitude toward others even towards some whom the Lord has forgiven. We find it very difficult to forgive. We find it very difficult 
whatever the situation was. And when we consider Abner, Abner, he didn't want to kill Asahel. Told him, please, stop following me. If, you, if you're determined to fight the battle, you're going to lose. And he did lose. But it didn't make a difference now. There was this bad blood between them. This animosity of Joab. And we find then also in this animosity of Joab, his, his reading of the situation. First of all, his reading of David's openness. David had said, well, I will make a league with thee. Chapter, chapter 3 and verse 13. But one thing I require of thee, that is, thou shalt not see my face, except thou first bring Michal, Saul's daughter, when thou comest to see my face. Well, we've considered that issue. But David's openness that he is, he is willing to meet with Abner. David is a wise man. David, as I've said already, doesn't just cast himself into a situation that he can't get out of, and he, and he gets what he needs out of that situation even before he meets with Abner. He is not going to be taken in by Abner. He is going to be very careful what he says to Abner, even though we find that Joab says that, well, he came to find out what you were doing. He came in to spy behind the camp so that he can know how he can defeat you. David would not let that happen. And yet, Joab, it seems, reads it that way by his words. And he comes and says, he has come here and you have sent him out. You are just open for him to come in, just to walk in from being your enemy and seeking to kill you. But isn't that what the Lord tells us to do, that we are to be open? We are to be wise, aren't we? We're not just to, to, to let anybody in. We heard of uh, the, the man who uh, killed David Amos was, was a, a Christian. That was the first thing that we heard about him because he went to a church of England somewhere and uh, he had been accepted into the congregation there. But he wasn't a Christian. Now, we need that discernment, don't we? We, we need to recognize that the Lord Jesus said to us, by their fruits ye shall know them. How are we known? How are you known? Are you known as a child of God because you love the Lord? Because you're gracious? Because you're kind? Because you're a a person who desires the work of God to flourish, to be blessed. We have to be wise in our connections, but nevertheless, are to be accepting also. Because the Lord is able to save to the uttermost all that come unto him through Jesus Christ. He is a mighty God to save. And the people that he saves, well... Look at your own heart, first of all, if you're a Christian and the Lord has saved you. But just going through history and looking at the, the characters whom the Lord has saved, some of them have been uh, amazingly rough and the Lord has done mighty things with them. Uh, I was speaking about a, a man yesterday and uh, Jacob picked up on, the, on the, the thought of the man who drank petrol. And he said, we don't drink petrol, which is pretty wise as he's only three i think <laughs> i'm losing track <laughs> but uh yeah willie mullen his name was he was a tramp in northern ireland and the lord saved him and he was a drunkard and there were times when he drank uh methylate spirits and he even tried petrol but the lord saved him didn't just save him but turned him from being a drunkard and a vagabond 
into a mighty preacher uh, who saw many souls saved. And he was a powerful preacher. I had the privilege of hearing him preach on one occasion. But God is able to save to the uttermost. And we, we, we can't just cast people out. The, the Lord is able to save. We need to be willing to, to bring them into the presence of the Lord. And it could be that Abner was actually repentant here. We were saying this morning that probably he wasn't. Probably he was looking for a, a position in, in David's govern, government. It seems that his attitude toward this, even of the promises of Israel, were quite, quite carnal. Uh, he said that, that the Lord had promised that he would, uh, by the hand of my servant David, try, uh, Save my people Israel out of the hand of the Philistines and out of the hand of all their enemies. No, no thought of the spiritual blessing of, of having the Lord in their midst. But he would save the people. So it's, it's still quite a carnal viewpoint that he has. And he, he is interested in, in running the country rather than the salvation of the souls of the people. And their drawing together and being able to go up to the temple together in, in praise. As David writes, David has this great insight but he has this reading, Joab has this reading of David's openness. He reads the situation and he reads it wrongly. His reading of Abner's objectives. Thou knowest, Abner, the son of Ner, that he came to deceive thee, to know thy going out and thy coming in and to know all that thou doest. But it was completely wrong because that wasn't what, I mean, Abner was not perfect by any means. But he, was, he, he wasn't coming to deceive him that he might find out something about David so he could defeat him in battle. He was more likely seeking to bring Israel together under David so that he could have a position there uh, with David or under David or influencing David as his, uh, as his confidant, uh, as his advisor, as the one who would interact and be that mediator between the people and the king that he would still have the power which he was going to lose. But Abner's objectives are what Joab looks upon and he says he's, he's an enemy, still an enemy, still an enemy. We can drive people away, can't we, if we consider everybody to be an enemy. We need to be open. We need to be inviting people to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Who knows? Abner was a wise man. Who knows that when he actually met with David and spent time with David that he might not have begun to comprehend what David had was much more than what he had. Of course, in the providence of God, that was not to be, and it's a hypothetical. But, you know, sometimes we think that that, that person's never going to be saved. We don't want anything to do with them. And the Lord is able to do mighty things. And we see then also in his, his reading, perhaps, of his own opportunities. David's nephew... And a young man, a subordinate to David, someone who is ambitious, and certainly his, ambitious, his ambitions come to fruition. In 2 Samuel, he's mentioned often. In these chapters, his name comes up, in the first three or four chapters here, his name comes up over and over. And then in chapter 8, he is spoken of again. And then after that, he's, he's all over the place. He is right in the mix there. In all of the work which David does and all of the bringing of the people after David and in the, uh, in the conquest of the nation and indeed the nations round about. Because in David's time, they begin to pay tribute to Israel, which is an amazing thing. 
Because it's only a small country, even today, it's only a small country. And when you think of the nations round about, of Syria and of Egypt and uh, of Lebanon, and they were all paying David so that he might be at peace with them. That's amazing. And God's hand was upon him, and Joab was a part of all of that. And he has this, this great desire, and perhaps he thinks if Abner's involved, and Abner with all of his connections, and Abner with all of his power, I'm never going to get anywhere. Maybe that's involved here as well. And so we find that he seeks a revenge. And the revenge, well, the scripture tells us that the revenge is because of his brother Asahel. And he sends and he uh, calls Joab back once again. Uh, There in um, verse 26 it says, And when Joab was come out from David, he sent messengers after Abner, which brought him again from the well of Sirah. I wonder if Sirah was named after this, because the word Sirah means the place of turning. Uh, Maybe it was named Sirah, and the writer here uh, is going back and he said, Well, it's now called Sirah. And there were many places, of course, which were named for something that happened there. But this was the place of turning. It was the place of turning for Abner. He was leaving. He was going out to do what he said he was going to do. And he turns back. It's also a turning of the history, isn't it? Because here is a great linchpin in David's life. He had been these seven years uh, together to, to, uh, in the one place. Uh, and now all the people are going to be turned to him and he will become eventually the king in Jerusalem. But David didn't know it. And when Abner was returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside in the gate to speak with him quietly and smote him there under the fifth rib that he died for the blood of Asahel, his brother. So the scripture actually tells us what it is that, that Joab desires. It is the vengeance for his brother but we find here in, this, in his life this duplicity, first of all, sending after him. And we saw this morning the Achilles heel, which Abner had, in the fact that he was going, so to speak, cap in hand to David and seeking to bring people to David and seeking to get in with the people. And also he had recognized beforehand how he would have to get in with Joab. Uh, how can I look Joab, your brother Joab, in the face if I kill you, Asahel? And so he goes back, he has this weakness now, which he hadn't had before, and he goes back and he is brought into the gate, and Joab slays him, kills him, murders him in the gate. Often it is something that's been made of the fact that Hebron was one of the cities of refuge, belonged to the priests. And it was there that if a slayer of blood had uh, killed someone, not if he had murdered him, in that case he was to be cast out of the, of, the, of the city, but he was to go there anyway and he would be safe if it was a, a case of manslaughter, it was a place of refuge and he takes him to the very gate. But in actual fact it is, it is Joab that really needed to be there because Joab had slain someone and although Abner had killed Asahel he had done so in battle. There was a battle raging. And there were many who were fighting against each other. And Asahel sought to be a hero and died for it. But here he kills him. And he kills him with deception. He comes and he says, come, let us commune quietly. And they go into the gate of this city of refuge. 
a city of the priests. A city, when you think about it, a place where the blessings of the Lord should be known, the grace of God, the forgiveness of God should be known. The priesthood of Christ, which is foreshadowed in the priesthood of Israel, there it was, right there, and they're right in the gate, they're right there, and, and Joab surely should have, should have been touched by the fact that he is God, and yet there is not a thought, not a thought. And he slays him there. And this deception, this deceptive hand, and Abner has no resistance. And David makes a comment on it in verse 33. The king lamented over Abner and said, Died Abner as a fool dieth? Thy hands were not bound, nor thy feet put into fetters. You were a free man, and yet as a man falleth before wicked men, so fellest thou. We find in his revenge then this terrible deed which Joab does. Now, it, it could be that David curses him for this. I don't read this as a curse in actual fact in verse 28. I read it as something far more general, which perhaps we can learn something from. For it says there in verse 28, And afterward, when David heard it, he said, I and my kingdom are guiltless before the Lord forever from the blood of Abner, the son of Ner. Let it rest on the head of Joab. Now, it could be a curse because he's saying, let it rest on the, on the head of Joab and on all his father's house. Let there not fail from the house of Joab one that hath an issue, or that is a leper, or that leaneth on a staff, or that falleth on the sword, or that lacketh bread. And we can read it that way as a curse. But as I've often said to you as a congregation, sometimes you need to read things and read it with the emphasis in different places. And if you read it with the emphasis in different places, then perhaps what David is saying here, here is, don't let this guilt come upon my kingdom or upon the nation. We are guiltless. But let it rest on the head of Joab and all his father's house. And let there not fail from the house of Joab, one that hath an issue, or that is a leper, or that leaneth on a staff, or that falleth on the sword, or that lacketh bread. Perhaps what he is saying is the judgment of God will come because of this. Because of this iniquity, because of this wickedness, the judgment of God will come. Let it not come upon us. Because we are, we are innocent of this, this terrible thing. But let it fall upon the house of Joab. Let it just fall there. It's going to come. But let it fall upon Joab's house and not upon the whole nation. And perhaps the, the, the thought here is that he makes a petition before the Lord, saying, Lord, when you judge for this sin, let it not fall upon us. Maybe there's a similar kind of thought in Pilate's mind when Jesus is taken and he says, uh, and he washes his hand and he says, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. And the people actually said themselves, didn't they? They say, let his blood be upon us and upon our children. What a parallel between this of course then Pilate takes Jesus and scourges him so he's guilty anyway isn't he because he's just pronounced the man innocent and then he scourges him but the judgment of God does fall and the judgment of God we need to be aware of for our sins 
There's little fear of the Lord in these days. And whatsoever comes to pass, people say, well, just one of those things. And at the moment, it seems that the judgment of God in, in so many ways is upon this country. But people just put it down to, uh, well, practically anything. Because, well, we don't believe in God, do we? But there's a judgment of God upon us. We see churches turned into flats and into warehouses. And we find men rejoicing over the very fact that the churches are closing down. I remember hearing in my youth that if there is an attack upon Christianity and upon the word of God and people won't believe in God, they'll believe anything. We look around us in this day and people believe anything. They really do. And you think that there is just no, there's no rationality to what people are believing these days. There's no sense in what they're believing and what they're, what they're attempting and I was quite struck this morning. We were reading in our communion service from Isaiah 59. And how much this applies to the situation we're in just at the moment. Uh, where we read uh, there concerning the, the, uh, those who are righteous. It says in verse 14, judgment is turned away backward and justice standeth afar off for truth is fallen in the street, and equity cannot enter. Yea, truth faileth, and he that departeth from evil maketh himself a prey. And the Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no judgment. When someone stands up and says, this isn't right. This is going on in the country, but it's not right. And he becomes attacked. Or, as we have heard so often in the news these days, of cancel culture. They're cancelled. Truth. Truth is fallen in the street. Is this not the judgment of God? You look through the scripture and you'll find that the judgment of God is this, that God says, if that's the way you want it, I'll just stand back and let you get on with it. And we'll see how you get on without me. This nation was greatly blessed when the Lord worked, brought about a reformation, brought about the salvation of souls, and the laws of the country were based upon the word of God and the liberties and the freedoms that we knew, but they're being eroded. There are all kinds of pressures upon us to do this and to do that and to believe this and to believe that, even though we can see that it's completely irrational. David's prayer was, let it not turn upon us. And surely our prayer needs to be, Lord, remember us in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the trouble. We stand against it. And David is horrified at what Job has done. And he commands that the people repent, that they put on their sackcloth and ashes, that they lament before the tomb of Abner. And when they come and say to him, come and eat, he says, I'm not eating anything this day. This is the most terrible thing. And there is a, a sadness about David's heart. Do we have a sadness for the condition of this country in these days? Do we break our hearts for it? Do we pray, Lord, have mercy upon thy people. Make us strong. David's kingdom became strong. Many of the, of the troubles that had arisen were overcome in David's day. 
we have known blessing in time past. It's never been perfect. Because, well, we're men, women, and we're sinners. But we seek that blessing again. And let's have the heart of David, willing to bring people in, to speak to them and tell them of the gospel and pray for them and, and to accept them as they are and, and seek to, to teach them the, the, the righteousness of God and the salvation of God through Jesus Christ. Let us be a people who care and pray when the wrongs are done. Let's pray now. Our Father, we thank you for that which is written in the scripture. Lord, people set aside this book and they say, well, it's just fairy stories, but they would rather read fairy stories, it seems. Lord, fairy stories are put on television all the time and people love them. And they draw moral teachings from things which are set there. And yet everything really that we see and everything that is invented in these days is, is found in the scriptures. Lord, it is a book filled with tales of righteousness and of wickedness, of intrigues. But always with that moral instruction that we might come forth from it better people. Whereas we find that in the teachings of the world, people come forth from it as worse people. And we hear the language which is used in these days, which wasn't used in time past. And the attitudes of people one toward another. And the hatreds, and the fears, and the anger. Oh Lord, we pray that thou wast turn the people back to thyself. And that we might learn righteousness. And seek peace and pursue it. Hear our prayer and bless every heart and soul tonight. And any who know not Christ, that thou wilt draw them to know thee, that they might know the blessedness of knowing the God of heaven, who is our creator and is our judge. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.